Reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. At that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I have told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me, but you do not believe, because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we prepare for the sermon, would you pray with and for me? Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts Be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I was in college before I had an opportunity to travel outside of the United States. I'm a big advocate for international travel, if you can swing it. It's good to go with open eyes and ears and to discover beauty that you might not see in other ways. It's good to see other cultures, other countries, other people. It's the best way I know, in fact, to begin to understand that my way or the highway is a pretty narrow way to live. My first trip outside the country was to France, which is a pretty eye-opening experience for a 19-year-old who had never been west of Arkansas. If you're planning your first overseas trip, you could do worse than a place like France. For one, the food. For another thing, the food. And for a third thing, the food. But even more than the food, believe it or not, there is something deeply meaningful about walking into a place like Notre Dame. A place with hundreds of years worth of history. A place built before the United States of America was even an idea. It changes you. Swimming in that kind of history. Being submerged in it. I found myself deeply grieved over the last few weeks over the history that was lost during the fire at Notre Dame and praying for a quick recovery so that others can experience it as well. If you really, though, want to have your mind blown by the depth and the breadth of the human experience, and you find yourself in Paris, you have got to go, of course, to the Louvre, the museum known as the Louvre. There are 35,000 pieces on display at the Louvre, which means that if you spent a single minute looking at each of them, Day and night, you would be in that museum for over three weeks. 
when I went, we only had an afternoon, so we had to be judicious about what it was that we were going to see. But fortunately for me, there was one thing and one thing only that I really wanted to see. It was a sculpture known as The Dying Slave by Michelangelo. Now, who knows why certain pieces of art capture our imaginations, but this one had caught mine. I'd seen it in pictures, in art history books, and on the internet, and when I learned that we would be going to the Louvre Museum, I knew that I had to find it. So when we got through security, I pulled out my map, which for those of you born in this millennium is a big piece of paper that tells you how to find things, and I unfolded it, and I went looking. I remember passing things as I went, just sort of landmarks on the way. Oh, there was Winged Victory, that's nice. And there's the Mona Lisa, that's pretty famous. And there's the Venus de Milo, like something happened to her, I think. And then there's the Great Sphinx of Tanis and the Law Code of Hammurabi. You know, I just wanted to get where I was going. And I finally found it. I found the room where Michelangelo's dying slave was supposed to be after what seemed like hours. Only the thing was gone. I mean, it just wasn't there. I, like, I don't know how you misplace some number of tons of marble, but this was the only thing that I wanted to see in that museum. I had come all this way, and it was missing. Now, this is going to sound like one of those preacher stories that is too cute by half, but I promise you what I'm about to tell you is completely true. I took out my map, I studied it for a couple of minutes to figure out where I had gone wrong, gone wrong, but it looked like I was in exactly the right place. The map said it was supposed to be there. And so finally, I put the map away, and I sort of threw my head up in exasperation, and no lie, just above my gaze was Michelangelo's dying slave. I had been sitting there under it, looking for it the whole time. Now, I apologize to those of you who speak French. I don't. But si ça avait été un serpent, ça m'aurait mordu, which means if it had been a snake, it would have bit me. <laughs> Thank you. I was pretty proud of that. <laughs> it should be clear to you, if you didn't know this already, that your pastor is not always the brightest bulb in the box. I got to tell you, I got sympathy for those in the synagogue who surrounded Jesus, those we heard about in the Bible story this morning, the people who did not understand that he was the Messiah, who said, hey, if you're the Messiah, just tell us. I've got sympathy because, yeah, he, they had, he had already told them that. Yeah, they had already seen it in miracles. No, he wasn't keeping it a secret. But sometimes that's not enough. Like if my life is any guide, sometimes you've got to be hit in the faith with something before you realize it to be true. I don't think I am alone in this. Of all people, George Orwell, the writer and journalist, wrote during a particularly difficult time in the life of the world that to see what is in front of one's nose, to see what is in front of one's nose, needs a constant struggle. To see what is in front of one's nose needs a constant struggle. In other words, 
if you are not continually observant, if you aren't regularly, regularly looking out for that which is patently obvious, in our case, that God is at work in our lives and in the life of the world, if you aren't constantly struggling to catch a glimpse of God, you will miss that which is happening right in front of your nose. And so it was for those who surrounded Jesus, these people in the synagogue who seemed not to understand. Now, I want to be mad at them. I want to be upset with them for missing that which was right in front of their nose. But you know what I mostly feel when I read this story? I feel pity. I feel pity. I feel sadness. I would give my life for one glimpse of Jesus. And here, they have Him all to themselves and they just miss it. It's terribly sad. It makes me want to spend my whole life making sure that it doesn't happen to the people that I love. That it doesn't happen to the church. It's possible. It's possible to spend your whole life going to church being invested, even giving of some of your time and some of your money, and still missing the presence of God in your midst. Now, don't tell anybody I said this, but clergy are not immune from this problem. I've known pastors who've fallen victim to this kind of thing, who get so wrapped up in the trappings of it all, who get so stuck on some theological, doctrinal minutiae that they actually forget to look for God. I mean, I'm not saying that you're going to always feel it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying that you're going to come to church and every single Sunday you're going to be on fire. That's not how I feel either. But if you get so bogged down in the details of life, even in the details of church, you are liable to miss God at work. Now here's the thing, those details are pretty important. Those details matter. We're in a season here at Decatur First where those details are, are playing an important role in how it is that we conceive of our future with God's help. And yet, in some ways, those details can wear us down if we're not careful. They can weigh us down if we're not careful. A detail here and a detail there. Throw them in your satchel like you always have, and before you know it, you've got 200 years of details in your bag, and you're pulling them behind you like an ox pulling a cart. It's enough to keep your head pinned forward, focused only on your next plodding step. It's enough if you're not careful to prevent you from seeing God at work in your midst from paying attention to the Messiah who has told you before and is happy to tell you again just who he, he is and just what it is that He has to offer if you are only willing to look up. Now fortunately, fortunately, being stuck under all those details, being burdened by them is not inevitable, nor is it incurable. After all, the sheep aren't born knowing the shepherd's voice. 
I love this metaphor of Jesus as a shepherd because even though it's foreign to most of us who live in modern day Decatur, it is the case that part of what it means to be a shepherd in ancient times was to teach the sheep the sound of your voice. And if you think about it, that makes sense. You're out in the field for days at a time, nights at a time. It's very dangerous. You need the sheep to respond to you when you call. You need them to respond only to you so that some Joe Schmo doesn't come out of the blue and say, all right, sheep, you're coming with me. And it was the case that the shepherd's voice imprinted onto the sheep so that throughout their lives they recognized and followed the voice of that shepherd. And if they got too far afield, if they wandered too far off from the shepherd, they got confused. They sort of looked at each other like, I don't know what to do. Until they once again were able to hear that voice. People are like this. Even good Christian people are like this. Even Methodists are like this. I don't know about you, but my life tends to move in fits and starts. There are seasons when it feels like it's easier for me to be devoted than others. Seasons when it's less so. And while I'm convinced that God is into the idea of more devotion, that God prefers that, it is also the case that God is also there during the times when we wander. God is there calling, waiting for us to once again listen for the voice of the shepherd. This is a huge part of our theology as Methodists. There is no wanderer that cannot return. There is no person too far gone. There is no churchgoer too lost in the weeds. God is always there, always calling us, always there, standing above us if we will only look up. Let me tell you one more story. It's also true. In fact, it happened the very same day that I got lost in the Louvre. After that experience, almost as an afterthought, I went to visit the Musée d'Orsay. It's a museum nearby. It's much smaller than the Louvre, but it is full of Impressionist pieces. I'm not much of an art historian. I don't feel real strongly about a lot as it relates to art, but I've never really been into the Impressionists. It's just not me. So I was almost rushing through the museum after spending most of the day in the Louvre when I remembered that maybe I should, you know, slow down and pay attention. That's the whole idea of museums, after all. I'll never forget. I mean, as long as I remember anything, I will never forget the experience of coming off an escalator and being greeted and countering what has become my reminder to look and listen for God, and in particular, the light of God, always. There, on a wall, by itself, was a painting nobody seemed to care much about, but it was one of those experiences, one of those pieces of art that grabbed hold of my heart and wouldn't let go. It was a painting called The Floor Scrapers. It was painted by the otherwise forgettable Impressionist artist Gustave Kaibot. Kaibot was most famous for collecting other artists' work than he was for creating his own, and yet on a wall in the Musée d'Orsay, I find my, found my reminder 
I found my reminder that God breaks through the work of even the most pedestrian among us. That Christ is continually born anew. That God is with us. I don't know why that painting grabbed me, but it did. It's got hold of me still. And so I wonder for you, what's that reminder for you? Maybe it's a piece of art or a place or a person or a memory. Maybe it's an act of service. What is it for you that calls you outside of yourself and reminds you that all you see is not all that there is? Surely there's something. Some kind of beauty that grabs you and won't let go. The good news is that if you let that reminder guide you in difficult times, if you will let it guide you, if you will keep from filling your days with too many details, if you will not put so much on your calendar that you forget to look up, at the end of the day, it might just be the case, just maybe, that you find yourself in the presence of God. It is among my most fervent prayers for you and for me that I will see you in that place. Dear God, let it be. Amen.